You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. Fantastic to see all of you. Let me greet those of you who are listening by podcast as well. We are beginning a brand new theme at the Riverside family. My name is David Kennard. I'm one of the pastors here, and it'll be my privilege to kick this yearly theme off that we've entitled All In. Would you say it with me? All In. And All In, uh, specifically, we're going to talk about the All In One today, the one who went all in for us. And we're going to end our time together here with going around to the tables and receiving the Lord's broken body and his shed blood for us. And we'll get into that communion in just a little while. But before that, I want to invite you to open up your Riverside app and turn in there into the message notes. If you haven't downloaded it yet, you can do that real quickly. If you're one who likes paper notes, we do have sheets in the back that are always available for you every week for those of you who like to take notes on paper. If you would like a Bible, there are some paper ones below you in the chairs there and the racks underneath the seats. You can follow along there. And we are going to specifically be in the New Testament letter written to the churches that were gathering in the Galatia area. In fact, uh, that's where we kind of were a part of. We watched in the last series that we were in this summer, we were going through the book of Acts. We were looking at how uh, the church was moving forward, the movement of Jesus was moving forward, the spirit was doing his thing, and there were churches being planted. One of them were the churches there in Galatia. And so we're gonna look at a letter that came to this group of first century followers of Jesus, and it has an enormous impact for us today. The theme verse for this year that you'll hear off and on throughout the next year comes from a conversation that Jesus had with a person, with a group of people who were asking him, hey, if you could summarize all the Hebraic scriptures, all of what we know as the Old Testament, how would you summarize all those 10 commandments and the 613 laws? How would you put all that into into an idea or into a phrase? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, all of that is what we're going to be looking at is what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus who is all in? And kind of the the thought, the big motto, if you will, for this particular yearly theme is since Jesus has gone all in for me, I can go in and I will go all in for Jesus. And so that's where we're going to be headed. And if you're not get all in with Jesus. If you're investigating faith, if somebody's invited you, or you just kind of wonder why were these people meeting together in a mall, we're so glad that you are here. And we hope, genuinely hope that you'll stick around and you'll continue to explore, to investigate Jesus and his claims. And I hope that today will be beneficial to you because my prayer has been that you would be able, maybe for some of you, it'll be the very first time that you will fully grasp all that God has done, all that Jesus did to go all in for us, and that you would have a revelation of that as we look at this letter and these words that are inspired to us today that have implications to help us with that. Now, uh, we're going to look at this big question today, and it's simply this, how has God gone all in for me? Or another way of saying it might be, what does all in love look like? How do I describe all in love? And there's a picture that I want to show you that hangs in my house that reminds me of how God has gone all in. It kind of inspires me. And I hope that it'll be a reminder to you 
maybe a, a, a situation or a, a scenario in your own life that will be able to regularly remind you throughout this next year about how much God loves you and how much he's gone all in for you. This picture hangs in my home. Are you ready to say, oh, are you ready? Okay, maybe you should practice. No, just kidding. This picture hangs in my house all the time. Can you guys see that okay? And we got the, the glare, how are we doing? All right, this is me and my sister. Her name is Cherry, but she came into our family from Seoul, Korea. She was adopted at about 16 months old, and I was about two years old when she came into our family. She was deserted in a police box in Seoul, and my parents adopted her and brought her over. And she, I used to say, um, my friends would always talk about when I was a kid, I, this is what my parents would say anyway, that when my friends would talk about bringing home a sibling and, you know, oh, hey, my baby sister came home from the hospital or brought my baby brother home or whatever, I would say, oh, you got yours from a hospital. Well, I got mine from an airplane because uh, that's what they went. They went to the Kansas City airport in Missouri and they brought my sister home and she became a part of our family. And this picture reminds me every day that I see it of how much God has gone all in for me. And I'll try as best as I can to help connect the dots to that. But I wanted to begin with just that to help you to get the picture for where we're going to be headed today as we look at this subject matter and try to unpack it and hear what the voice of the Lord might wanna to say to us this morning. As I mentioned, this letter was written by the first century follower who had been a persecutor of Jesus, but he became a follower of Jesus. We knew him as we looked through the book of Acts, he turned from being Saul to the apostle Paul. And this letter that he writes to them in Galatia was written to Jews who had been under the Old Testament law, as, as well as Gentiles who had not been under Old Testament law, but had been under a paganism and a... Um, <clears throat> excuse me, a, polythe a polytheism, and they're now all coming together and they're forming these little people groups that were following Jesus. And they were longing to grow spiritually and to step forward, but they were going about it all the wrong way. In fact, the constant struggle for them was that when they looked at following Jesus and seeing his death and his resurrection, it seemed too good to just trust him by faith and live in grace. They felt like they had this draw, especially the Jews, they had this draw to say, man, we love the grace, but what about the law? And they would keep wandering back in to the law. And then they would ask and force and try to force the Gentiles to become circumcised and become Jews on their way into becoming Christians. And so there was all of this tension and Paul writes to them to try to help them to sort that out. And I wanna encourage you as we go throughout the day today to put yourself in the first century culture because that's gonna be the key to you really grasping what it is that we're gonna talk about here this morning as we walk through this. So you have this tension and before the cross, as I said, let's show it on the screen. Before the cross, it was all about law. It was all about keeping the law, the rites and the rituals and the sacrifices. And God had established it that way intentionally so that the people would be prepared for the arrival of the Messiah. And so he taught them this sacrificial system so that when they realized they'd made a mistake, the Bible calls it sin. We, when we became sinners, we would realize that when there's sin, there's also going to be death. And with that death, there will always be a shedding of blood. And so that's the mindset of this group of Jewish people. And they're now inviting these Gentiles into this. The problem is, is that they're wanting 
to embrace Jesus, but they're also living under the law and they keep taking a step back when they think they're going to step forward. Instead, they go backwards and they actually undo the work of the cross when they step into the law again. But Jesus invites us, as Paul invites them, to live in grace, to live in the shadow of the cross on the other side in grace. So that's that tension. Now, why in the world would you go back to legalism? If you had the chance to trust and put all your sin and all your weight upon Jesus and live in grace, why would you go back to the law? Why would you struggle with legalism? And I think it's probably for them the same reasons that we struggle with it today. We have an internal wiring that we feel like we have to do something to earn pleasure. We feel like there's got to be some sort of external measurement to see how we're lining up with others or with God. There's got to be some sort of an external way to be able to measure what's happening in a person's life. We need a sense of accomplishment and trusting in Christ and grace alone through faith doesn't feel as accomplishing as doing things, as working toward having a relationship with God. There's a sense of pride that comes in that. And it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In fact, as sin started in the Garden of Eden, so did God's all-in love start in the Garden of Eden. In fact, we want to begin, we'll hold our place in Galatians, and we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3, where we're just on the backside of the fall. Adam and Eve have taken matters into their own hands, and they are now eternally separated from God, except for what God was going to do to bring them and all of us home in Christ. And so in this moment, God is speaking to Adam and to Eve and to the serpent, the devil, And in this moment, he's specifically talking to the enemy and he's addressing and making a promise the first time that the reference to Jesus, although you don't see his name, the first reference to Jesus shows up in verse 15 of Genesis chapter three. Look at it with me. It says, you and this woman, so he's talking to Satan, you and this woman who was Eve will hate each other. Your descendants and hers will be always be enemies. One of hers, that's Jesus, will strike you on the head, Satan, and you will strike him on the heel. And so this promise is made, and the Jews were holding on to that for thousands of years, waiting for the time of the Messiah, which would come at the exact moment. It was the perfect segue, the perfect intersection in the Roman culture for the Messiah to come. The Romans had established roadways, The Romans now and the Greeks had established the Pax Romana, the Roman peace that was by military force, but it was the most peaceful time in the history of humanity up until that point because of the rule of the Romans. They all spoke Koinonia Greek, which was a universal language. The Jews were totally ready. They were at an all-time high for the messianic expectations, looking for this Messiah. And in the middle of all of that, at that exact time, Jesus comes onto the scene. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter four, and we're gonna read it together. And I'd invite you, if you would, to stand with me as we honor the word of God. I'll read and you can just follow along with me. And as we read this, please, if you've checked out, don't miss this right now because you'll completely be lost if you, if you don't, like wake your neighbor up if they didn't stand up, okay? Imagine we're the church in Galatia and we're gonna get this letter And in this letter, look around the room. We have young and we have old. And for anyone who wasn't born a firstborn, specifically a firstborn son, this letter 
was going to change everything for them. Ladies, in the first century culture, you were property. You were under the boot heel of a man. If you were married, you were under control. You were not your own. If you're a boy in this room, if you're a male in this room or a female and you weren't firstborn, you were down the totem pole a ways. The firstborn sons had it all. And if you were a slave, if you were a dog, like a Jewish dog as the Romans would refer to them, you were even lower on the totem pole. But this letter, if you can keep it in your mind, this first century perspective, what Paul is going to say in these verses is a life-changing message for these first century hearers. Listen, as they open up this letter, Paul's writing all of these things and they get to this point and imagine as we walk through what we're seeing today, how it would forever change and shift your identity. But when the right time came, in other words, the perfect time, the set time. From the time that time began in Genesis to this moment, God has been waiting for this moment to be completed. God sent his son. Notice God is initiating. God sent his son, born of a woman. He's complete humanity, all wrapped up in one. Born of a woman, meaning Mary, subject to the law or the Torah. Notice this, God sent him. And then in the Greek, there's a beautiful little henna clause here. It's a purpose statement. In other words, it's as if he's saying, God sent him. But why did he send him? In order that, notice this, God sent him to buy freedom or to redeem. To buy freedom for us who were slaves under subjection to the law is the idea there. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, here we go again. God has sent the spirit of his son, that is the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, a very intimate term. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir and when you read those verses in the context of all that Paul describes in this letter, it is putting on a level playing field men who were born the oldest, men who were born the youngest, and everywhere in between, women who had been born the oldest but didn't have, still didn't have the rights of a firstborn male, and every woman, and a slave, and a person of a different ethnicity or a different nationality or a different socioeconomic status in this moment at the cross. Paul is saying we are all made equal, and we're gonna watch at what God has done to go all in for us to see that. Father in heaven, I'm pleading with you, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit to help the Riverside family, everybody listening right now in this room, those that are listening by podcast right now in this moment, that we would begin to have a shift in our identity. Whatever woundedness, whatever brokenness has come with our growing up years, whatever hurt and whatever pain we've brought into this place about who we are and whose we are and, and who you are to us, God, I pray for a fresh revelation that there would be healing, that there would be a change, that there would be a transformation from the inside out, that we might see your heart for us with a completely new set of lenses. 
and a difference in our perspective and a difference in the way that we relate to you. Thank you for going all in for us. Help us to get a hold of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. First thing I want you to see in these verses is that God's all-in redemption is for you. Big theological term, redemption. What's the idea there? Very simply, we're in bondage to sin. We need to be freed. We need to be rescued. We need to be liberated. And the law that was given at Mount Sinai was the thing that convicted the people for 1,500 years. And as I said, the law established in their mindset that when sin had to be paid for, there had to be the shedding of blood. And it was in from Moses until the cross and the resurrection that the law was supreme. But the law was not God's final revelation. The final revelation of God's work was his love in the person of Christ. That was his final revelation in Jesus. And notice, as I said earlier, God always does the initiating. He sent his son, he sent his spirit to live within us, and Paul tells us, who came? Jesus. How did he come? Born of a woman. How, uh, where did he come? He came right at the exact time in the right season when the time was complete. It was not by accident or happenstance that God sent his son into the world when he did. It was perfect in its timing. And most importantly, he tells us why Jesus came. And if you've been confused about it or you've gotten lost in all the story, the why of why Jesus came was because God so loved the world. God so loved you that he came. And God is always the initiator. And the, the idea in the New Living Translation that we just read from, that was all about the idea of buying back or the freedom. He bought our freedom. It's the word redeem. It's the word redemption. And it literally means to buy back. It means to buy with a price. And the idea there is that we are sinners. We're made broken, coming right out of the womb because of the fallen nature of man. And if that's news to you, if you're thinking, yeah, I'm actually not that bad of a person. I'm actually not, sin's not really an issue for me. Ask your husband, ask your wife, ask your kids, ask your parents. They'll be happy to help you with that. We're all messed up. We're all broken. Ask my family. They're right over there. They'd be happy to tell you about me. And so in this moment, the idea is if you're a first century reader, you, you picture the Roman slave markets. People who had been oppressed were in slavery and you would go in and if you were a wealthy person, you'd go in and say, I'll take him, I'll take her, I'll take him, I'll take her. And then they became your slaves and you would buy them for an agreed price. And what Paul is saying is that God the heavenly father and Jesus the son agreed on the price for us. The price for your soul and mine, for your life and your eternity and mine. And Jesus said to the Father, the price will be my life. It'll be my broken body. It'll be my shed blood. And I will go willingly. No one will take it from me. I will willingly substitute my place for their place. I will go willingly. And I will go into the slave market and I will find David. And I will die his death and take his sin so that he can walk out of the sin slave market redeemed. And that's the picture that Paul paints. And your name instead of mine is right there. 
That ought to put a smile on your face. God so went all in for you that he redeemed you no matter what. He had to be 100% man, human, to be able to represent us. And he had to be 100% God to be able to substitute for us and redeem us. He had to be God to have the power of Savior. And he had to be a person, a human being, to have the position as substitute. And he did it willingly to atone, to shed his blood for us. And when doing that, he makes, he makes us acceptable to God, but there's so much more than that. If you stop at that, you'll miss the whole depth of this. What he does for us be, moves us beyond good works, best efforts, dry religion, religious rituals. None of those things could bring us closer to God. And through his life, he demonstrated that he was the only one uniquely eligible to buy our freedom. And through his death, he paid the price at the cross. And he didn't purchase us to make us slaves. He purchased us in the language of the first century, specifically to make us the firstborn sons, all of us. Regardless of our background, regardless of our age or our gender, he purchased us in the language that Paul uses in the first century to be sons. And it's because of that, as we walk forward, we'll see how deeply this redemption goes. Under the law, we are mere children, but under grace, in the language of the first century, to the hearers there, they're saying, wait, I'm not second class. Wait, I'm not just a piece of property. Wait, in God's kingdom, I'm under grace and I have the rights and the responsibilities and the blessings of the firstborn. We're all the firstborn. Imagine you're sitting in that room and imagine the tears streaming down people's faces as they're getting a hold of this. And we don't enter God's family by adoption. You know, my sister was adopted. She came into our family. In, excuse me, in God's family, we don't enter his family through adoption. We enter his family through regeneration, through being, as Jesus refers to it as, born again. And if that's been a negative term, term for you, I want to invite you to rethink it because the spiritual picture is no matter how old or how young we might be, that we are born again as a baby into the family of God. We are regenerated. That's how we enter the family. We enjoy the blessings of God and the blessings of the family through adoption. And it's not just that God makes us acceptable, but he calls it, it's such a close intimacy that it's adoption. That's the word that's used over and over and over again in the New Testament. So we enter by regeneration and we enjoy the family by adoption. So that's the second thing I want you to see in these verses. God's all-in adoption is for you. He's redeemed you, but now he's adopted you into his family. Adoption in the original language literally means to place as an adult son. And it has to do with the standing in the family of God. We're not little children in the family of God positionally when we come to faith in Christ. We are given all of the blessings and all of the privileges as an adult. 
and we're placed in, as we come to faith, as we're born again, as we're transformed, and when we trust Jesus and we're redeemed, our condition is that we are spiritual babies who need to grow up. In fact, feel free, look at your neighbor, both sides, tell them to grow up. Go ahead, grow up. Okay, it's fun, isn't it? Grow up. We start off as spiritual babies. That's our condition. But our position is that we are an adult son in the first century language who can draw on legally, who can draw on all the blessings and all the wealth and everything that God has for us right out of the gate. So I want you to see the differences because again, as I mentioned, Jesus didn't go all in to make us slaves. He went all in to give us all equal rights as firstborn. So what's the difference between a servant or a slave and in that culture, a son? I want you to notice just a few and then we're gonna head to the table. First of all, the son has the same nature as the father, but the servant does not. So when you and I trust Jesus, when we put our faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And that means that we have his divine nature. Law cannot do that. Law will never place the Holy Spirit's divine nature within you. And when we revert back to the law, when we try to step out of the shadow of the cross and we try to live by some other means other than by grace through faith, we undo the work of the cross in our lives and we allow that sinful nature to rear its ugly head Jesus says, no, no. Paul says, no. Don't have the nature of a servant. You have the nature, the same nature as the heavenly father. The son also has a father while the servant has a master. Think about this. In that day, from what their framework was, no servant would ever be able to say father to his master. But when we trust Jesus we receive the Holy Spirit and he constantly reminds us that we are a child of the most high God. And it is the Holy Spirit who reveals and reminds us constantly and consistently that we belong to him. That's where we know that we know that we know it's the assurance of the fact that we have been redeemed. It's the assurance of the fact that we have been rescued and saved. It is the assurance of the fact that we've been adopted into his family. And why? Because God so loves you and me. In fact, Jesus said it this way when he was talking about going all in. He said it this way. He said, I am the way. He said, I'm the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, when you talk about God, in fact, think about this in our own society today. Most of the time when we talk about God, it's our searching for God. It's our looking for him. It's a little more distant. But when we talk about Jesus, it's, he, it's God searching for us. And that's exactly what Jesus says here when he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. I'm going all in for you. Do not doubt that I am going all in 100% for you. In fact, I'm so in that this is me saying, there is no one else coming. I'm it, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm what you've been looking for, the emptiness and the hurt and the pain and the second class and the third class and you've been overlooked. I'm coming, I'm the way, I'm the truth and I'm the life and my father has sent me and there is no one else coming. And he says, I'm gonna redeem you, 
I'm gonna adopt you into my family and you get to be at the top with everybody else because of what Jesus did. That's preaching. Come on, people. You can smile. (laughs) The son obeys out of love while the servant obeys out of fear. Obedience is a part of being a part of the family. Every parent knows that, every kid knows that, and that's the way it is in the family of God. And the Spirit works in our hearts to increase our love for God. In fact, in over in Galatians chapter five and verse 22, when it talks about the fruit of a person who's been redeemed, who's been adopted, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We can't have a personal relationship with our laws and with our rights and with our rituals, but we can have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. Don't buy into the lie that you'll be able to follow and relate to God better through taking a law perspective. Instead, the way that we have a relationship with God is a love relationship. The law can never produce obedience. Only love can do that. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so we follow, we obey, we respond to God out of love, not out of fear. A servant lived in fear, being whooped, being executed, being cast out. That's not how sons and daughters relate. Next, the son is rich while the servant is poor. And we're just about to see how truly rich we are. We're both sons and heirs, Paul says right there in those verses. And since we are adopted into the family of God, the very moment that we are regenerated and we are made born again and we come into the family and he says, welcome into the family. You are now my adopted children. In that moment, we have all of the blessings of heaven at our disposal. We are able to experience God's glory, his power, his goodness, his faithfulness. We are able to lean into him in prayer and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he hears us as we submit and can have relationship with him. He gives us his wisdom and his promises. It's all there. We're rich as followers of Jesus, way beyond what this world offers in terms of finances and stuff. And last but not least, the son has a future while the servant does not. It's true in the first century that many masters did provide for their servants as they got older and aged, but it was not required of them and it certainly was not guaranteed of them, but the father always provides for the son. Which leads us to how God continues to move in toward us. He redeems us. He goes all in and adopts us and he goes all in and gives us his inheritance. All that he has is for you. All that he is, is for you. You see, in a Roman culture, a wealthy, childless man could take a slave and make that slave his firstborn. He would do that, he would adopt him in, and then that slave would have everything. It was no longer an issue of biology or whether they were blood-born or not. It was, hey, this guy, he's now my firstborn. I've now legally adopted him, and all my, my, all my inheritance is his. 
And what Paul is saying, as a person who has gotten all of this himself, he's been redeemed, he's been adopted into his family, he's experiencing the heritage of his heavenly father, he's saying for all of us, all of us, that's ours. All that God has is ours. We're not second class, we're not looked over, we're equal. We leave the life of slavery trying to please God through works and trying to gain all of the privileges and responsibilities of a child of God's family. We don't have to earn that. We don't have to try to gain all of that on our own. We are free from the performance trap. We're freed from that. We're freed from the religious rites and the religious rituals and the dominance of the evil one. And it does not matter where we come from, what our background, what our gender, it's all the promise of eternal life. And not just life eternal, but life now in its riches and its blessings. No further uh, preparation needed. No other system can fill in for Jesus. No other system can stand in for Christ. We have been given a special dignity as those who were not born of the family, but just like my sister, she has all of the blessings and the inheritance, all of that that I have. This wasn't just an issue in Galatia. In fact, it was an issue in most of the first century churches because they were all coming from this, either a Jewish background or a Gentile pagan background with the multiplicity of gods and goddesses. And they were wrestling with this and they didn't just wrestle with it in Galatia, but they also wrestled with it in Ephesus. And I love how Paul describes it there. And I've paraphrased it a bit to put it in the context for us today. And as I read this, I wanna invite you, if you've lost interest to come back and refocus, because today this message is for you personally. My hope is that God the Father, the Spirit, and the, Holy, and the Son would be able to look you straight in the eyes in these moments and these words written 2,000 years ago, spoken over you, would so grip you and so transform you that you'd leave this place and never walk the same, never live the same as a result of what I'm about to read. God says to you and to me, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. I chose you before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless before me. I have predestined you to adoption as my sons and daughters through Jesus. In me, you have redemption through my blood the forgiveness of your sins according to the riches of my grace, which I lavish upon you. You need to get that, some of you, and you need to put that where you will be reminded of it every single day because it is the perfect description of how God's love motivated him to go all in for you. You are worth it. You have value. God loves you so much that he went all in for you. Our tendency is, is when we've walked away, God doesn't walk away, but we, we have that freedom to walk away. 
we can choose to begin to path that, that path of following Jesus and we can back off. God still comes after us, not to catch us doing something wrong, but because he loves us and he wants us to be all in because he's gone all in. And for some of us, maybe we felt like the circumstances of life, we've forgotten that God's there with us. We feel like we've been out of the family, either because of circumstances that have left us hurt and wounded and angry and bitter, or maybe it's our own doing. We've walked away. Maybe the question for you is today, is it time to come home? Is it time to repent? And is it time to come back? Is it time to embrace the love of a heavenly father who went all in for you? Embrace the love of your brother in Christ, in Jesus. How are you relating to God today? Is it as a son or is it as a slave? Is it as a servant or is it as a child of God? Are you struggling with living in the shadow of the cross? Or have you stepped out of the backside of the cross and the resurrection and you're trying to live by a set of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rituals and religion? Jesus came to free us from that. And as his sons and daughters, we live in the shadow of the cross. That's you today. That's me. That can be us as we head to these tables. You know, I think if, if you read history, you look at the stories and you see what happened in the first 60 to 70 years, it's amazing that Christianity made it out of the first century with just a few dozen people who began it after the resurrection. What's even more shocking is that it survived the second century and the third century. In fact, not only did it survive but it completely engulfed the Roman Empire and the Roman emperor made Christianity the religion of the empire. Why? Well, you can attribute it to a host of reasons, but why was it so attractive to people in the first century? I would submit to you that what we're studying today is one of the major reasons why. Because of the layers of society because of how people were viewed less than and as, uh, as objects and as property. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus came into the darkness of all of that to level the playing field for us all. That whether we come from religious backgrounds or non-religious whether we come from being the oldest in the family or somewhere else, youngest, middle, wherever, whether we are a man or a woman, this message is good news because it puts us all at the same place. Redeemed, adopted, and an inheritance that lasts for an eternity. That's how much God loved you. That's how all in he went for us. As the worship team comes, I wanna pray for you. And I hope that you'll never take communion the same. 
If you have questions about it, if you're not sure yet about following Jesus, don't feel pressured into this. You don't need to do this. This is just for us, those of us who have received this experience of being adopted into the family. It doesn't make us any more different or special than anybody else. It just means we get to be a part of the family. It's literally a rescuing of our brokenness, of our darkness. It's us stepping out of the darkness and into the light because of Jesus shining that light into this world. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your hearts and I wanna pray for you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I do wanna talk to those of you in the room who maybe you've never experienced God's all-in redemption. You know deep down inside that you've not yet for yourself experienced God's all-in adoption. And you wanna be adopted into the family. Just like my sister came into the family, you can be regenerated, born again right now in this moment and you can be adopted into the family to experience the inheritance for yourself. The forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of a heavenly father who loves you. And I'm gonna pray for anyone in this room that you'd like for me to pray for that specifically for you today. And you're gonna talk to Jesus. He will give you the opportunity to talk to the Lord yourself. But if you'd like for me to remember you in this prayer, I'd love for you to slip up your hand and just let me see your hand. Let God see that hand. Is there anybody here in this room you want to experience that for yourself and you'd like for me to pray for you? Lord, thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for the reminder today of your redemptive work. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for offering us all of the blessings of a child that belongs to you. Forgive us for the sin that so easily trips us up and entangles us. Would you wash us clean, white as snow? Would you help us to not carry the hurt and the pain and the guilt and the shame that we maybe came into this place with? Would you help us to forgive those who have wounded us and who have hurt us, who've treated us less than? Forgive us for those times when we've treated somebody else less than. Help us to have a fresh awareness and a fresh perspective of how we view everyone, that everyone matters to you that you went all in for every human being that has ever lived on this planet and ever will help us to live as your children to walk as your children help us to figure out what that looks like and as we unpack how much you've gone all in for us and how we're to respond by loving you with all of our heart soul mind and strength would you grant us a fresh awareness of your working and your spirit in our lives. Thank you, thank you for sending Jesus. And as we remember what he did for us at the tables today, may we be overwhelmed by your love for us. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www dot riversideconnect dot org